You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season 11, episode 14. There is a rhythm and a tension between work and rest, and it is in that rhythm that I discover and transcend this conversation. It's like, it's not about achieving. It's not just about resting. It's actually about belovedness. And I don't get to belovedness if I just try to achieve. The pace of our modern culture doesn't always accommodate the need for balance between work and rest. We praise the hustle and scorn the burnout the hustle produces, and yet we rarely make room for reflection and rejuvenation. My good friend, author, and creative coach, Justin McRoberts, tackles this issue head on in his new book, Sacred Strides, The Journey to Belovedness in Work and Rest. In our conversation, Justin and I discuss the importance, specifically for working artists, to develop a rhythm between work and rest, and how to cultivate healthy patterns of practicing meaningful Sabbath rest. If you're a patron of the podcast, you can hear an additional clip from this conversation on what the hustle tells us about the things we make and how that impacts our relationship to our art. And if you'd like to receive a free copy of Justin's book, See the show notes of this episode for details. This is my interview with author Justin McRoberts. Justin, so good to finally have you on the Makers and Mystics podcast. Stoked to be here. I'm excited to talk to you today and to introduce your work to the Makers and Mystics audience on this season of the podcast because you're just finishing a book called Sacred Strides, The Journey to Belovedness in Work and in Rest. And uh, let's dive into this a bit. Tell us about Sacred Strides, why this book now, and what is it all about? You know, for the most part, when I put a book together it's usually, I'm more like assembling things. So I, I rarely start with like, I have this thing I want to write and the map extends outward. It's almost always, here's some stuff I've been doing, talking about stories that, that you know, they've been part of my life, my work for a while. And I, I kind of pause and let it all collect and then assemble it and then put it out. That's been true of pretty much everything I've done book-wise. It's a little bit different with music, but so this, these are stories and anecdotes and little bits of teaching that have marked my conversations internally. The more I've, uh, through pastoring a church for 20 years, uh, the more I've coached artists and ministers, I love my job. And the people I get to work with love their jobs too. And I've had to learn the the value of rest. but. The way I initially came into that conversation was very was contentious, and you've experienced this, where like you've got the the, the sort of the, the driven, what's the word I'm giving like hustle culture thing, right? And then you've got the like you know no stop rest slow down culture thing, and I like I really resonate, I really mostly deeply resonate with the go get them hustle culture thing, mm-hmm. and so I didn't. I don't disparage that at all. So the but the call I was hearing from the other side was like that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That'll kill you. And I resonated with that a little bit. I was like, yeah, I don't know if that's entirely true though. 
And what I've, what I've come to discover uh, over the course of time, and I see it in the life of Christ, uh, I've, I see it in the more mature pastors, spiritual directors, and spiritual leaders in my life, is it's not a choice. It's not a, it's a, it's not a matter of this is the preferred life is, is, is rooted in rest, or this is the preferred life that's rooted in accomplishment. There is a rhythm and a tension between work and rest, and it is in that rhythm that I discover and transcend this conversation it's like, it's not about achieving. It's not just about resting. It's actually about belovedness. Mm-hmm. And I don't get to belovedness if I just try to achieve. I also don't get to belovedness if I just like divorce myself from you know my everyday life and, and work hard. No, in the practice of work and rest, I discover, I rediscover my actual belovedness, which is actually the ballgame. Oh, that's beautiful. And, you know, I've, I've often thought about rest as a creative posture. It's almost like, and we even see that, you mentioned, you know, scriptures, we even see that in the very beginning that human life actually begins with Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very interesting countercultural take on it. But tell me how you see rest as an important part of the creative life. So, I mean, story-wise, I mean, I come into, and this is in the book, I come to the practice of rest as someone who wants to work well. And I think that is that is a more than okay way to situate my relationship with Sabbath keeping and with the practice of rest is I noticed, and so did the people around me, a, like a devaluation of my work that I was not as one, I wasn't as effective. Like I was doing things and it was going well. They weren't as rich as the, you know, the things I was putting together, the experiences I was creating weren't as rich as they could be. And I wasn't enjoying my own work. Like I wasn't, I wasn't as present to myself in the work. Mm -hmm. So I came to the practice of rest because I wanted to be a better worker. That's a fine place to start. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I mean, even, you know, the, the, when you're talking about the scriptures, we begin with rest and it, it's Genesis two that uh, there's a, the text says that you know, on the seventh day, God rested from all the work that he had done and repeats that sort of sequence over and over. He had rested from all the work he had done for on the seventh day, he had rested from the work he was done. The God doesn't, I don't think God doesn't get to the end of the, the creative process, his creative process and be like, whoo, monkeys, <laughs> damn, so hard. Just make the one and he, you know, I think it's that God chooses rest, which is to say that rest is part of the shape of the divine. Mm. And so as I enter into as a, as, as someone, you know, I don't want to say as a creative, but as an artist, as I, as I enter into the the spiritual posture of of art making, the deepest, richest thing I can experience is, is I feel a resonance with the creative heart of God. And as I come in contact with God, the real draw is like, I want to, I want to be like that. Mm. I want to be shaped like God. That's what it is. The draw. It's what, it's what makes art, you know, a, a religious practice. Mm. Well, part of the shape of the divine that I've come in contact with through the making of art is also rest. I love that the way the scriptures, the, the, you know, begins in rest, and then the God chooses this posture this this practice of rest because it is in the nature of the divine uh that's beautiful challenging is hell but beautiful (laughs) yes absolutely so in your own creative practice how have you 
no pun intended, worked to develop rest in your regular rhythms? I know you're super busy, you're multi-talented, you've got your hands in various things that you're doing, coaching, writing music, writing books, speaking places. Like, Talk to me about rest as a practice in your own life. I'll state it as it is now, and then I'll and then I will reverse engineer it and talk about how I, kind of how I got there ish. So I map out my life as best I can, like six to eight months ahead of time. So like I'm having conversations now with people about what I'm going to be doing in the fall and a little bit in the, the the next winter. Like that's I'm mapping things out, and because I know my schedule decently enough, I know what my spring. I'll be fifty this year. I've been making art since I was you know, professionally since I was 22, because I know my seasons decently well, I can make relatively wise decisions about what a season will look like. Well, because I know the spring looks, it's book launch season. And then the summer will be a little bit more rest oriented. The fall kind of ramps up a little bit. Because I know that I can look at and say, well, during, during the spring, I don't have a whole lot of weekend stuff. So I map my Sabbath days out first. It's a thing. It's a commandment. We'll, we can get back to that in a minute. Wow. Uh, yeah. Like I map it out. Like I'm. I, I, I know on Saturdays, for the most part, through the spring, I can hand that Saturday off to Jesus and say, "Here, here, this is yours." Mm. That'll be different in the summer. So I map it out differently in the summer. It'll be more like a midweek thing because we've got family stuff we're planning on doing, um, festival season. So it's not going to work on the weekends. And so I map it out through the summer. And then I'm a little foggier about the fall. But what I try to do is actually I plug it in first. That's the that's the first element. It's on the calendar first. Secondly, is like I do keep a running list of things that bring me joy. Mm-hmm. Just bring me joy, period. Or ways that I am more keenly connected to the Spirit of Christ. Mm-hmm. And when I look at those days, one, they're plugged in. And then secondly, I know at least what my options are with, with regards to how I'm going to spend that time. Like, I want to do this. I'm going to want to do this. Here's a book that I really, like, I want to, I want to, cause you and I both know, like I want to, this is a book. I want to spend four hours in this book. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do the 15 minute thing and have to put it down. Like, no, I want to spend four hours here. Mm-hmm. And on the Sabbath day, like, here's a book I want to get into and spend the four hours in. So that's how that works now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> here's how it started. This is the story of the book. So I was, I don't know, probably four or five years into uh, predominantly uh, playing music. I was doing some blogging too, but the, and I was tired because to be an independent artist, to be an independent musician, like it's just crap ton of work. So I was, I was wearing out and I was, I was tired. There were some people around me who knew that I was tired. My wife had been on the road with me traveling, playing music. She was tired too. She was just a tad more ready to make change. So... She reads this excerpt, and I think it was Christianity Today, of this book uh, by a guy named Mark Buchanan called The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring the Sabbath. She comes to me, and she says, you, you should read this excerpt. This is really speaking to where we are. And I was like, I, I actually don't have time to read an excerpt about a book about rest. I don't have time. Because uh, I'm reading to do the work. Whatever I'm, do, whatever I'm reading, I'm, like, I'm, I'm channeling whatever I'm reading. There's no content for me. It's all just channeling. So I don't have time for this. So she's like, well, I'm going to order the book. She orders the book. She reads it. She's like, honestly, Justin, this is like weeks later. This is, you really should. I'm like, can you just give me the cliff notes? What's the bottom line? <laughs> what is, this is no joke. This is a real conversation. 
<laughs> she said, what, what are the cliffs? Cliff? She's like, well, it's about Sabbath keeping and this and the, your skull. And you're like, and this is that I see it the way we've been. I was like, ah, that's not, I totally get it. Listen, that's, I, I understand if maybe if you can like, I don't know, if you, if you took some notes, feel free to, she's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Seven weeks from now, there's a weekend I know we don't have anything. So on that Saturday, we're going to practice the Sabbath. We're going to rest. I was like, great. And no sooner had that happened than like, I think it was the end of that day or the next day, I get an email from my buddy Dan. He's like, are you available this weekend? And it's the exact weekend that she had just pointed out. I was like, yes, I am because I've got nothing going on. So at this point, Amy, I'm like, so sorry. I'm going to be in Kansas City at Heartland doing this thing. She's like, what is it? I'm like, I'm just going to Heartland. I'll get Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'll come back on Monday. What's the job? I'm like, I don't know, but it's a job and I have to take it because I'm an, I'm an independent artist and I've got to take the job. A couple of weeks later, I messaged Dan. I'm like, so <laughs> I said, so help me prep for this thing that we're doing in a couple of weeks. Like, what's the theme? Is there, is there something? He's like, yeah, the staff and I, we just read this book by a guy named Mark Buchanan. It's called The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring the Sabbath. I was like, shut up. He's like, I'll send you a copy. I'm like, yeah, do that. Send me a copy. Bless your heart. So he sends me a copy. I super don't read it. I read like the last part of the last chapter. I read, I think, the back of the book and then a short review online. And this is so key, bro. And like, I read, I got just enough of it so that I could do the job, which was like, mm -hmm. that was the posture of my <laughs> devotional life. I need just enough so I can keep driving. So get to Kansas City, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday comes around. And Dan, the pastor friend, he's like, bro, you're tired. Like, I can feel it. Like, you just, you're not the same person you were a couple of years ago. I'm like, yeah, you know, being tired is, part of being an adult. He was like, mm, I don't know if that's true. It's okay. Well, he says, so why don't we do this? <laughs> why don't we do this? Why don't, instead of, instead of you leaving tomorrow morning, why don't you stay and just stay and you could stay at our place. We'll leave in town. I'll give you some stuff to do, some books to read, just stay and practice the stuff we've been preaching for the last few days. I was like, man, that sounds great. I should totally do that. So I say, yes, they do three services on the Sunday. So that was service one, right? By the end of service three, I have a text from my buddy, Kirk, who lives in Nashville. And he's like, are you available this week? So I text him back and said, absolutely I can. He says, can you be here tomorrow? <laughs> yes, I can. I've got nothing going on. <laughs> so I go in and disappoint my buddy Dan. I'm like, hey bro, I'm so sorry. I cannot be there. I can't stay because I, I got to get to Nashville. I got a job and you know, man, I got to, you know, I got it. He's like, wow, <laughs> what's the job? I'm like, I don't, I, I don't really know. So I'm at the airport the next morning and I'm texting Kirk. I'm like, I'm on the way. Hey man. So just so I know, like, what's the, like, what's the thing you can see this coming, right? You, what's the thing I'm coming to? He's like, yeah, it's a, it's a retreat for artists. And we just, we lost our song leader. I don't want to ask him from Nashville because it's for them. It's a great. Cool. So what's the theme? He goes, yeah. So we're flying this author in. His name is Mark Buchanan. <laughs> he wrote a book called Restoring the Rest of God, Restoring Yourself by Restoring the Seven. It's like, this no, is no. amazing. It's not even over. So I get to Nashville. <laughs> you would think that that would be the great ending, but it's better. So I, I get to Nashville and I, I walk into, I think it's called the Potter's House is the name of the, name of the place. And my buddy Matthew is there, who's the song leader they had initially hired. And he's like in the place with his song sheets out, like ready to go. And I was like, bro, what are you doing here? He's like, no, no, no. What are you doing here? I said, I heard you weren't going to be here. So I came. He's like, yeah, I never said anything to anybody about me not being here. So I don't know where that came from. And I was like, <laughs> I just got divinely suckered 
<laughs> into a re retreat about rest by the guy whose book has been chasing me around for like That's a year hilarious. and a half. And the first thing Buchanan says that has haunted me in the best way since is he says, if you're in this room, I'm going to assume you love what you do. And we're all like, yeah. He says, if you want to do what you love and love what you do in the long run, you have to learn to not do it. And there are times, man, when it like, when the, the truth, again, a transcendent moment, the truth is enough just because it's true. And I wasn't, I wasn't looking for that truth. I wasn't looking for answers. I wasn't even asking the question. And the spirit of Christ just showed up and said, I love what you do. And I love that you love what you do. And I want you doing it. But you have to learn to stop over identifying with this work and re-identify with me so that when you're in your 50s and 60s, you can still be working out of a place of love and rootedness and joy. Mm. And like, I wasn't ready for that, but the Lord was like, yeah, I don't, I'm not super concerned about you being ready, ready. <laughs> Let's get you ready. But that's how it started. Wow. It was like, I got chased down. I was tired and I had enough loving people in my life to point at it. Mm -hmm. uh, that when the story was presented, the, the, the truth had some, um, some churned and ready soil uh, to plant itself. That's how it started. That is beautiful. That, you know, I have often said that one of my favorite characteristics of God is God's mischief. Yes. You know, the humor of God. <laughs> Absolutely. Sometimes I have found myself saying, oh, you, you think this is funny, don't you? <laughs> uh, but just, you know, it's good to know that I'm not the only one that those type of experiences and stories happen to. That's very refreshing for me. <laughs> well, and we do that. And I recognize the pattern, right? Because I do that to people on microphone all the time. It's like, I'm setting you up for something. I've cracked some jokes, told the story, we're, gone, we're coming in the back door, and then I'm going to say some stuff in a minute that you're going to be like, oh, damn. <laughs> like, like, if I just came in the front door and said, I'm here to sell you this, you'd close it on me, but we're going to do a little thing. So the Lord literally did like, yeah, we're going to come around the back door. It's like, that's a good idea, Justin. I think I'm going to use this, this method here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to bring up something from your book, and this comes from chapter four. And in chapter four, you say that being fully alive isn't just about being well-rested, but sometimes it's about being well-spent. More than that, belovedness isn't a static reality. It is a lived, embodied, and practiced reality. Riff on that idea a bit for me and, and tell me what it means for rest to be an embodied and practiced reality and how that ties into our sense of being beloved. Man, yeah. So in my experience, and I think in the religious, the general religious context, rest is, if my rest takes place in relationship to my work, um, it is it is lesser as as an experience. In other words, it's still a facet of my work. And that's where I started, and I'm okay with that. More than okay with that. In the same way that like no one should, no one almost no one shows up to like youth group or church pure-heartedly for the first time. You you walk through the door because you have ulterior motives. 
and then the Lord gets a hold of you and changes your heart and your desire. Ultimately, rest is about trusting in the love of God in my life. That's really it. I mean, I, when I communicate rest to folks uh, and even to myself, I talk about it. I'm taking 52 days a year off my work calendar. But that's not because I, that's not just because I want to be a better worker. That's true. It's because I'm actually trusting the one who holds my life together. I'm saying you you hold my life together. So here are these 52 days. Take, take this. I, I trust you. Which means I actually have to know love and want to be with that God. I didn't come to that by way, I'm not a natural devotionalist. Like maybe you pick up on that. Uh, I'm a, uh, like, <laughs> give me some, give me a shovel, give me a dragon to slay. Like that's the shape of my heart. I'm, I'll be 50 this year. I'm, I, it's always been true. I can't imagine that changing. I fell in love with that God because I found him in the field wh- where I was working. And he came and met me and worked alongside me and invigorated me for the work. The story, or the question comes from a chapter in which like, I had been, I was in Mexico. I did one of those Mexico uh, uh, week-long week things with the youth group, like three or four years in a row. I was the song leader as an adult. And they had this, this uh, tradition that leaders would stay up all night, like the entire time mm-hmm. you were there. And so on oh, the wow. on the drive down, one of the guys is like, "Are you are you going to be part of the midnight midnight crew or whatever they call it? I can't remember the title of the thing." I was like, "Yeah, what is that?" He's like, "Yeah, we stay up all night the whole time we're there." I was like, "Okay, I'm oh. up. That's, that's right. <laughs> I'm in my twenties though, so I was like, hey, let's you know challenge." And I was you know between morning session, afternoon, like traveling around to different sites, doing doing the work, digging ditches, building houses, the whole nine. And this isn't, you know, we don't have to talk about the the benefits of the, the or the or the downsides to short-term mission trips. That's a whole other thing. But and then the evening session and then prayer time and then we get together and we pray through the night as le- like I was exhausted. Mm. And I was so like so happy because I knew where all my energies had been spent. Like it's a different kind of tired. And you know this, man. It's like there's the tired of like, I just sat on my phone for three hours instead of sleeping. Or like maybe you finished, you know, Mario Bros. 2 on (laughs) – because I stayed up up all night when I got Mario uh, as a teenager. But the kind of exhausted, tired I was knowing that my energies had been spent that way was just so – it was like – it was a really rich, good, tired experience which also meant that when I finally got home and laid down to fall asleep, oh, like one, it was a really, really good sleep. It was a great rest and there was no guilt attached to it at all. And so I was able to receive that rest also as like a gift. Mm. That experience like highlighted what it's like to like live in relationship to the God who like wants the whole of, my, my energies. Spend yourself on me and there'll be re- rewards in the depths of your soul you could not possibly imagine. And then come lay down and let me remove from you any sense of obligation. Just rest and know that I'm happy with you. In both places, I heard that like deep resonant voice. You're my son. I love you and I'm proud of you. I'm out in the field busting my butt. You're my son. 
I love you and I'm proud of you. And then I go to lay down and that's still resonating with me. Like you're my son, I love you and I'm proud of you. So that that actually allows me to actually rest as opposed to the way we oftentimes rest is like, I gotta lay down for like 20 minutes because I got something coming up. No, like I can just be like in Genesis, finished, finished, done, done, done. Belovedness, the underpinning for both those experiences. You know, this season on the podcast, we are talking about art and the urge for transcendence. And it occurs to me that rest, as you're talking about it, as it relates to our own belovedness, it's kind of the posture that allows us to transcend or to see past some of our own situations and to even clear the palate enough to see what might be right outside of our point of view. I wonder if you would have some thoughts on how rest might dovetail into this subject of transcendence. Yeah, to see my life clearly, to have, uh, you know, a, a way to talk about transcendence is to talk maybe about altitude. It's kind of a lesser way to talk about transcendence is when we have some altitude and some perspective. Um, mm -hmm. The pace, I'm reading a lot about ADHD right now. I, I've lived with ADHD. My son who's 12 lives with ADHD. I'm, li I'm, living, I'm reading a ton about ADHD. And one of the concerns among the, the scientists and the doctors, the folks who work in the field is the confusion between actual ADHD and perceived ADHD. And there's like so much, well, I shouldn't say this way. There might be huh, a lot of a miss or overdiagnosis of ADD or ADHD because of the pace at which the culture around us move. Mm, like yeah. you feel like you have ADHD. You feel like you can't pay attention. It's not probably in your actual DNA. It is in the DNA of the culture around you that won't let you stop. So you can't pay attention to the thing right in front of you because you're being screamed at by four different forces around you that like you're done with that moment, move on to the next one. Mm -hmm. Rest is a posture and a practice in which I, whether that's in me DNA-wise as someone who lives with ADHD or if, if it's just my culture, it allows me to say no to the voice in me that says, it's not enough to pay attention to this moment, move on to the next one. No, I'm not going to. So that I can let like the day, the week, the month that I just lived catch up with me and gain that perspective, right? Mm -hmm. I can't get there I can't get there another way. If I don't stop actively and regularly stop, I won't experience my own life because I'm living it too fast. And that's not just me. I think that's a lot of folks. Specifically as an artist, the ball game with art is being able to pay attention. And if I'm not actually paying attention, if I'm not seeing and if I'm not listening, if I'm not, if I'm not attending to, then I'm just reacting and I'm not creating. I have to stop and let the goodness or the difficulty, I have to let my life catch up with me. So two, two quick stories is the one, one is mine and one is uh, more probably a myth, but doesn't really matter. The one that's mine was uh, when, when my first, when Amy was pregnant with our first kid, um, I did the classic traditional freak out about not having enough, not being enough, that whole thing. So we had to move, I'm, I'm in freak out mode at this point of the story. And we move a bunch of stuff out of uh, the office space we were using because we need to put a, a, a human 
in that place eventually. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I'm not super handy, but I had to like put a shelving unit in there. So I call my buddy Jesse to, to come, uh, help me build the shelving unit. Uh, and I think it's going to be like this four and a half hour ordeal. So like I've got a cooler of beer, I've got sandwiches. We're going to do like man time. I'm going to use the one like blue handled tool thing I've got. I'm going to feel great about it. And, uh, so Jesse comes over, I've, I've blocked out like three or four hours. He's done in less than an hour. And so the immediate dilemma it's not really a dilemma, but that mighty immediate, my immediate thought is like, well, how, what other productive stuff can I cram into the time I've got left? That's the first thought. And something like wisdom got a hold of my heart and said, <laughs> why, why don't you, why don't, instead of doing that, because I didn't know what else I was going to do, I was going to get started on some other project, right? And instead of doing that, why don't you just stop and take the moment in? And I sat down on a little bench in the middle of the room and lo like looked at this shelving unit that like he, he had done it and then like pinned it against the wall with these anchors because he's an actual handyman and took in like that was actually a really good job. Like he did a great job. So thank God Jesse did it was like that. That was like the, the, the cute thought, but the real thought underneath that is like, honestly, like, thank God for Jesse. Like people pay folks to come do those jobs. I'm not capable. Thank God for Jesse, which led to like, thank God for Jesse and his wife, Andrea, and not just Jesse and Andrea, but like, they're part of this network and community of people that we belong to that like, I'm part of a community of people that know us and care about us. And a lot of these folks are dads and they're good dads. And so wait, I'm actually surrounded by people who know the dad thing. I think going to be okay. And the, the, the twofold thing that happened, one is I, I just, I took a moment to let the ridiculous goodness of my life catch up with me, mm. which I just don't. Mm -hmm. And again, as an artist, if I'm not seeing clearly, I can't make great art because so I'm not seeing my own. I can't, I can't make great art because I'm not seeing my own life. That's so good. And the, the second part was like, <laughs> I, I, I'm also, when I'm making art or making anything in my life, oftentimes working from like hope that I can do something that makes tomorrow work. And that's not an awful thought, but man, I'm never going to ever make a plan, make a project, have an idea, more so the plan that ensures that tomorrow is going to work out. It's always a risk every time. Mm -hmm. No plan I ever make, no project I ever do will ensure my future and give me the kind of confidence I would like to have for tomorrow. But the thing that can do that is in this, is it, again, the gift of the scriptures is I can look back. I can say, you were good then, you were good then, you were good then. Hell, you were good two hours ago. Mm. And if you were good then, and then then, and then then, if you've been good all the way up to now, that's what I need to know, and you'll be good tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You know, th that place of, belovedness that place of like god's god's had me i don't know I, I don't have the space and time to capture that in the moment as it's passing me mm -hmm. i actually have to stop and let it catch up and there's that parable and i don't know if it's uh, you know i don't know if it's just myth or not of this of 
the folks who are traveling through uh, Central America with uh, some folks like walking them through and they're, they're trying to make like some like 17, 20 mile journey and their guide who lives in, you know, in Nicaragua, like stops like in the middle of the day. And they're like, we, you know, we've got more daylight left. And he says, well, we need to stop to let our souls catch up with us. Mm-hmm. That's, it's a legitimate truth. It's wow. an actual truth that if I do not stop, I don't let my life catch up with me. I'm oftentimes running faster than my life is trying to go. Right. I'm oftentimes running faster than my soul is trying to go. Yeah. And not just the richness of my understanding of the goodness of God, but my own capability of seeing my own life. Mm -hmm. I just trample with my own pace. And so rest rescues me from that and allows me to have altitude and actually practice transcendence. Yes. So good. So good. It reminds me of this quote from Mary Oliver that I've brought up several times over the past few months, but she says, things take the time they take. Don't worry. How many paths did St. Augustine take before he became St. Augustine? You know, (laughs) kind of makes me think of that quote from her. And the other thing that comes to mind for me in this is, you know, we're talking about the hustle and, and you and I are both accustomed to the hustle and the danger and the burnout and the things that come with elongated seasons of that and even how much our culture can push a mindset of hustle that is so far beyond our capacity of what we were designed to function in you know and when you're in the hustle you don't see your life you don't see past the immediate and this leads to anxiety. Yes. And all of these things inhibit this experience of transcendence that we're talking about in Makers and Mystics this season. The hustle inhibits you from seeing what's around. The hustle infuses you with anxiety, and anxiety is a creativity killer. Oh my you gosh. know, anxiety inhibits that experience of the more. So, man, I think the work that you're doing with this book is so timely. It's so important, it's so pertinent to what our generation needs to hear. And quite honestly, it's a book I need to read. <laughs> and not only a book I need to read, but a book I need to put into my own practice. And uh, oh, so, man, I'm, I'm thankful for your work, Justin, and I'm thankful for our friendship, and I'm thankful for this book. I'm looking forward to getting this in the hands of our listeners and just continuing with uh, whatever trouble we can get into together in the future. Love it. And to all that drama. Yeah, man. Hey, thank you so much for joining me today on the Makers and Mystics podcast. I am a fan of yours, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. My absolute pleasure. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This episode was produced by me, Stephen Roach. If you've been inspired by this podcast, I want to invite you to become a monthly patron and help us continue offering these conversations to the world. Makers and Mystics is an independent, self-funded, and patron-funded endeavor. That means your generosity enables us to keep creating. As a patron, you'll receive exclusive interview segments, participation in our online book clubs, and opportunities to connect with other like-minded artists from around the world. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode or visit patreon.com slash makersandmystics to learn more. 
We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art.